week, Lando Norris tells us what he's buying Carlos Sainz as a leaving present. Mercedes James Allison on reopening an F1 factory during these times. And F1.com's Lawrence Barreto on why the new calendar will give us a new champion. And now, from kitchen tables all around the world, this is F1 Nation. Yes, it is, folks, and it's wonderful to have you with us once again. My name's Tom Clarkson. And I'm Alex Jakes. And a very, very warm welcome to the show. Well, what a week it's been for Formula One. We're back in business, everybody. We have an eight-race calendar confirmed. We have team principals back in the news, blathering away, telling us what's going on. And uh, man, there's been a lot of news out there as well. Williams are in the news. Is the Williams family finally going to wind down its involvement in our wonderful sport? Toto Wolff, is he considering stepping down? And indeed, is he considering Sebastian Vettel as a driver alongside Lewis Hamilton in 2021? It's all going on. And Alex, tell me, while we're talking highlights, what's been going on in your world? What's caught your eye? There's been an awful lot this week. But before I get to that, Tom, when you were reading out that Toto Wolff might step down and as a special present to Mercedes caused them a load of stress and grief by signing four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel to go with potential seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton. I love the idea of that. We've had that in the past with football managers who've signed very difficult players and then gone, I'm off to another club. Good night. I, I think that would be, a, that'd be an incredible leaving present for Mercedes. My highlight, going to start off Nice and weird on this week's F1 Nation. Lando Norris discovering a new fruit. A leech. A leeche. Leechy. The chiche. Leech. Leechy. 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 So he got there in the end, TC. He worked out how to say it. There we are. The driver's learning all sorts of things, even fruit and veg under this lockdown. And that is not the last you'll hear from Lando Norris in this episode. My other highlight, Tom, was a bit of a daunting task. I was asked by Formula One to provide commentary for a documentary from the 1999 season. This meant reading and changing the words of the great Murray Walker. And let me tell you, Tom, that was like covering Bob Dylan or Elvis. I felt extremely inferior for a while afterwards. It was ama- It's an amazing season, though, and it got me reflecting on that. If you're one of our younger fans, maybe you've not seen it. It's a great opportunity to go back, watch some classic races. It is one of Formula One's strangest seasons. And it was interesting, AJ. I remember that last race of the season at Suzuka, there was a, a real swell of support, it has to be said, in the media centre for Mika Hakkinen because ultimately you want the best driver winning Drivers' World Championship. And there was that real feeling that Mika needed to win that for the integrity of the Formula One World Championship. And when he did do it, there was actually a cheer in the press room at the end of the race. I mean, Eddie Irvine, great driver, don't get me wrong, and very popular as well. But I think the right driver won that championship. How about for you, TC? What's caught your eye this week? Peaky Blinders. Now, I know I'm a bit (laughs) slow to that show. For people listening outside of the UK, I think there are 30 episodes of this. It's about gang warfare immediately after the First World War, and it is completely gripping. So I've been doing 
uh, an episode of that a night. And then when I haven't been watching Peaky Blinders, uh, <laughs> I did actually do something on Tuesday. I went up into central London for the first time in a while, which was an event in itself. Extraordinary to be in central London when it is so deserted. You could hear the yeah. bird song, no one around. I was interviewing Chase Carey uh, for his thoughts on the, the calendar and getting Formula One up and running again. My goodness, there was a lot of health and safety. You arrive at Formula One's offices and you were given a goodie bag of your own hand sanitizer, your own face mask, your own plastic gloves, and then lots of precautions. But I mean, you have to be in this day and age. And it was a reminder, actually, for me, just how difficult it's going to be when we get going in Austria and all of the health and safety that's going to have to be put in place. Our hope is to, as we go down to the road, to be able to include fans um, at races. That obviously is another level of complexity to be tackled. I think our goal would be before the end of June um, to try and have a good handle, if not, you know, if not complete the rest of the calendar, at least a good handle on it. Certainly today we have, we know what we'd like to try and do. We have other options if some things don't come together, um, but we want to make sure we do it right. And these times, you know, safety is still priority one. And we want to make sure we do it in a way that we've, you know, as much as possible, understood, you know, what is required, you know, what are the issues we have to deal with. Chase was in cracking form, by the way, the only person in the office at the moment, everyone else working remotely, uh, an office that normally <laughs> How holds... strange. Yeah. And it's an office, as you know, that holds 200 people normally. And yet you walk in there and he's the only guy. And then um, can't help thinking, and this is going to sound a bit weird, I probably should preface this by saying I'm a massive Williams fan, but I think the family coming out and saying we're up for sale if we can find the right guy is actually really good news. That's really interesting. Why is that, Tom? Formula One is coming back towards a team like Williams with the budget cap, with the aero restrictions that are coming in next year. And I feel that if the team can find a, a properly committed investor with deep pockets so that they can upgrade all their facilities at Grove. This is a fantastic opportunity for them. I've spent a lot of the week just trying to second guess who might buy into the team. You know, Toto Wolff seems to have shares in most Formula One teams these days. Is, is he <laughs> going to go back in at Williams? Or, in fact, guys that you might be uh, more familiar with than me, AJ, someone like Michael Latifi, father of Nicholas Latifi, who's racing for the team. He's currently a 10% shareholder in McLaren. Might he try and offload that shareholding to buy into Williams in a big way? Or what about Dimitri Mazapan, father of another Formula 2 driver, Nikita? Might he get involved? So lots of stuff to discuss and to think about. And um, I don't think it's going to be long until we get some answers. The main thing I've thought all of this week is, thank goodness we've got the budget cap because Formula 1 now, a place on the grid, is now a hugely appetizing prospect for investors in a way that would Williams have been as attractive a proposition without that cap? I don't think so. That's why I think there will be some investment coming their way. And I'm just, oh, Alex, what about a Porsche? What about yeah. a Porsche coming in? Because they've flirted, I think, with Williams in the past. They've certainly flirted very seriously with Formula One in the last few years. Might we see them coming in? Really exciting times for Formula One for Williams. And, um, but of course, the underlying thing is that we are going racing in exactly one month from today, the day of the release of this podcast, 5th of July. We're going to be there for the first of three consecutive races when we get going in Austria. And man, I can't wait. Yeah, fantastic to get the official confirmation. Let's get a driver's perspective on the big news then. We've already heard him talking fruit. 
Chief Lockdown Correspondent Rosanna Tennant has been catching up with McLaren's Lando Norris. Lando, it's great to speak to you on F1 Nation. I can see you because we're using a conferencing software, so it feels a little bit like we're about to take each other on on eSports. Yeah, another race. Yeah, I mean, it's been a busy few weeks, really, for everything like that, for racing and, and eSports. I look forward to the race. I look forward to the battle. Well, I'll have to up my game because I have not been practicing as much as you have. <laughs> Lockdown has primarily been esports for you, but what else have yeah. you been doing? What else have been What else have been doing? I mean, not a huge amount of things. I guess similar kind of things every day, really. I mean, I guess training's been one of the biggest things. Streaming every day. I mean, I've been streaming on Twitch most days. Yeah, playing with some some big YouTubers and and big players in other different categories, whether it's mainly Call of Duty, which has been uh, really cool for me you know, to join a lot of, a lot of other big names from, from different categories, not just racing. Yeah, I don't know what else, really. That's, Have you been pulling it. all-nighters again? Uh, not, mm, maybe one or two. Maybe one or two. <laughs> Nothing more than that. We know how committed you are. <laughs> yeah, you know, look, once you enjoy something, or once you just, just you know, love doing it and you, you feel like you can always improve and do better than... Games can be very time consuming and you can look down at your clock and you can realize it's almost the morning, you know, so I, I just enjoy it. I've been having a lot of fun on, uh, on all sorts of different games and programs and sim racing. So, uh, yeah, still been, still been good. Because I can imagine it's quite weird when you are a Formula One driver and you spend a few months not being a Formula One driver. Mentally, yeah. that's something quite tricky to get your head around. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is. It's just so different to obviously what, we were expecting at this time in the season, you know, preparing for the races and spending so much time in McLaren on the simulator there. And yeah, for, for none of that to, to kind of suddenly happen after Australia, it's just been quite weird when, and for it all to kind of start up again next month, it's also going to be weird after kind of almost getting used to the last two, three months looking at computer screens all the time. So no, I, I look forward to it. I think it's, it's going to be a, a challenge, you know, jumping back into a Formula One car because it's, it is challenging. Formula One cars are, are like no other things, you know, that you really get to drive. So it's going to be, it's going to be nice. It's going to be a cool feeling to, to kind of get back into a, a Formula One car and, and feel like being on the limit and, and pushing it to, to the max. What about the simulator? Have you been back in it? Um, not yet. So I think my first day is, uh, is next week. There's been a lot of plans and safety measures still put in place at McLaren to make sure and things de-escalate in terms of health and safety within uh, within MTC. So we're just making sure we have a good plan for, for everyone around. Yeah, things are you know starting to get back into place, let's say. You know, I got an F3 test coming up, I'm doing some karting again next week. Just something to get my body going again and and back in the the driving manner of some sorts. So that's interesting that you're gonna try and put some tests together so you can be even more ready than perhaps other drivers will be. Yeah, I mean, I already know of some of the drivers which are, are doing it as well. So, you know, I've literally not been doing anything at all. I think obviously the, the rules have been stricter in the UK than, than in some other countries. So other people have been able to already do more things than we've even been allowed to do, you know. So I'm not saying that's unfair or anything, but it's just, yeah, we're just a little bit later to the party. You know, I still get to go and drive an F3 car, which is still good. It's just getting the body back into that physical feeling of the G-force and, and everything like that, whatever, you know, to get that muscle memory back and, and working as it should do, or even karting, which is, you know, all the bumps and physically that's also quite bruising, but it's also a bit of a shock to the system to kind of get back into doing that as well. So, yeah, driving anything, you know, that you can push and, and go flat out is, uh, is going to be a good feeling to do. 
So you haven't been driving to the supermarket to practice? I mean, I've been driving, but I'm a very responsible driver. So part throttle <laughs> within the speed limit and all of, the, all of that stuff. Good. I'm glad to hear. Of course, we now know where we're going racing and how often yeah. you're going to be racing. That triple header to start with. Are you excited yeah. for that? Or is that a bit, a bit scary, a bit daunting? Um, I mean, it's going to be a lot, you know, for not even just for me, but for the whole team as well to, to jump back into things and, and do three races on the trot, two in Austria, one in Budapest, I think. You know, it's a, it's a lot, not just for me, but for the engineers, the mechanics as well. So it's going to be a challenge for, for everyone. It's going to be a cool challenge because, you know, we all just want to get back driving again and, and back in the racing mentality. And, and the whole team wants to do that. So it's going to be nice and we're going to be enjoying ourselves and, and just enjoy getting back to, to going working again. But yeah, there's going to be other different challenges, you know, that we, we don't face as often. I mean, there's a couple of triple headers or triple header last year. So, you know, we've, we've been in this situation, but at the same time, to go from doing nothing to then doing three races in a row, one weekend off, three races in a row, in a row it's, uh, it's going to be challenging. So I can't speak properly. Three races in a row. Yes, yeah, so there's going to be challenges. And I think uh, we just need to make sure we're prepared for that and we recover after each race weekend well enough to, to make sure we're on top form for the second and the third. So it's, it's nice that we're going to just be doing a lot of racing again but there are going to be challenges coming along with it. I think everyone's so excited to see you all go back racing. The calendar obviously is very European based. Do yes. you like those tracks that we're going to be visiting? Austria was one of my best results last year. In fact, I think it was my joint best, which was P6. So, I mean, I look forward to that. Budapest, I, I enjoy. It's where I did uh, my first test in, in F1. So I've always kind of liked that place and I've got some good memories there as well. It's just, yeah, it's action packed. There's some, you know, spas in there, monsters in there. There's a lot of, of racetracks, you know, where we have this proper racing and, and we can have a lot of fun as race drivers. It's a good calendar, busy, but I think uh, all of the tracks are, are ones we, we genuinely enjoy. And what about the car? Will it enjoy going around those tracks? <laughs> I mean, we've only done one track so far and it's a track which maybe doesn't always show exactly what everyone can do and, and so on. So, And, you know, not everyone goes flat out and, and shows whatever they can do, so... I think it's going to be very close with the midfield. I think you're going to have those top three teams, you know, which are a little bit ahead again. We've made progress, but I'm sure all of the other teams have made progress at the same time. So there is pressure on the team to, to make another step like we did last year. I think that's what a lot of fans think, you know, just because they think, I oh, did it one year, you can just do it again. But it's, it's really not easy to, to make a Formula One car go up, you know, a lot quicker and be on the same level as those top teams. So... Yeah, we're, we're getting there. We've made progress, but um, we, need to, we need to keep working at it. Brilliant stuff. Well, we can't wait to see what you guys have got in the locker. Have you had a chance to think what you might give Carlos as a leaving present? Ah, uh, no. I don't know what I would give him. I'm not very good at gifts, so I would need, a, I need to spend some time thinking about it. I don't know what he brings around with him all the time. I don't know, you know like a set of keys or something, or his, or his phone. I might get him like a McLaren phone case with a picture of me on right and uh so he's going to be in ferrari with a mclaren phone case on with a picture of me you know so <laughs> ambush marketing i like it exactly exactly <laughs> lado norris speaking to rosanna Tennant. i thought it was really interesting in that tc that lando norris and also alex alban as well have felt the need to test a formula three car in order to get back up to speed i find that fascinating uh, they feel within themselves that they need a little bit of running behind the wheel. What's your take on that? 
I don't think it's strictly necessary, Alex. They've been racing since they were eight. Carlos Sainz has already come out and said that he'll be up to speed within 10 laps of getting to the Red Bull ring. So I think maybe the lockdown has been a little bit more prolonged in the UK. So are they feeling that they, from a physical point of view, just need to exert their body to some G-forces that perhaps guys living elsewhere have been able to do through karting and stuff like that? But I don't think they've forgotten how to drive. And I think that'll come back very, very quickly when we get to Austria. Well, before we get to the resumption of The Real Thing, there's still a couple of weeks to go for the Virtual Grand Prix. And we've got an eSports exhibition, an F2 virtual race around the always entertaining circuit of Baku on Sunday. So expect the young guns at the front and chaos absolutely everywhere else. We also have Sergio Perez and Pierre Gasly making their eSports debut just in time before The Real Thing kicks off again and if that's not enough Baku for you F1 Rewind this week is a trip to the 2017 Azerbaijan Grand Prix TC two types of races there processions or epics this one very much the latter yeah and most of the races have been the latter I remember year one in Baku it was a procession because everyone was so nervous about breaking their cars because the F2 race there had been completely bonkers hadn't it it really had i'll tell you a story about that very quickly commentating with stoffel van dorn that day he hadn't been promoted to the mclaren team at that time and great to get his insight very detailed guy and great in co-commentary and then after about 25 minutes of that race he pats me on the back and he goes i've got to go to uh debrief see you in a bit right puts his <laughs> mic down and leaves and I'm thinking, ah, you know, it's been fairly tame so far. It'll be fine. And then it turned into complete carnage. They were 10 wide on that main straight. And uh, cheers, Stoffel. And the conversations that went on in the Formula One paddock immediately after that were sort of, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? The Formula One cars and everyone was betting on, you know, the guys starting at the back actually sort of coming through and finishing on the podium because they thought it was just going to be so chaotic. And of course... I don't know how many overtakes we had, but it was very tame. But we made up for it in subsequent years, no doubt about that. And it's well worth revisiting 2017 if you have the time this weekend across all F1 channels. It's an unprecedented time to be in a senior position in a Formula One team with new technical sporting and now very recently financial regulations that have been announced by the governing body. And more immediately, factories are reopening with COVID measures ahead of what is going to be eight races in 10 weeks. So who better to discuss all of the above than with Mercedes technical director, James Allison. He's on the line now. James, lovely to have you on the show. The 63-day shutdown is over. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, it was, um, if you could put aside the the sort of macro level worries attached to such a momentous and difficult and frightening thing. Just the time spent with my family doing things that have stacked up at home over the last few seasons. There was a lot in there to take some pleasure from. And I guess also with the reassuring thought that the season was going to come back alive and uh, there was stuff to look forward to at the far side of it. You normally have a project going on at home, restoring old aeroplanes, things like that. Is, is that what you've been up to? The single biggest one was, it's going to sound extremely unambitious, but I started making a wardrobe about two <laughs> years ago and it, it felt a bit like making nuclear fusion. It was something that was always going to be you know, finished in about 20 years. And happily, I, uh, I managed to get that done. That was the one significant achievement. <laughs> and lots of 
lots of frills either side of it. Well, what's the what's the vibe inside the factory now that you're all back hard at it? Although we're back at work, it's very much not like the factory of January. Um, the we don't have anything like full complement of staff in the factory, although we do have a full complement of staff working. So still a very significant proportion of working from home, which, you know, it's not as good as working together face to face, but we managed to make that work pretty effectively before the shutdown. But for the people that are in, it's just lovely to see see the faces again and see the smiles and and uh, and and be in amongst a group of people who are looking forward to the season kicking off in a few short weeks from now and uh, and who want their lives back on track so the the vibe is good albeit albeit socially distanced and uh, and from you know whenever we're not at our desks masked up and uh, and slightly unusual but it's good and nice to be back back headed in the right direction so as you say season's getting underway on july the 5th in austria um eight races have now been announced um it's going to be a tough schedule eight races in 10 weeks does the choice of tracks favor one car over another uh yeah it will favor the fastest car for sure <laughs> looking historically max verstappen for example has gone very well in austria in hungary and just your reaction to the, the choice of tracks for the confirmed eight races there's no doubt that max is going to be a formidable opponent for us this year and you know the ferrari too show glimpses of some form in pre-season testing so we would imagine that max will again be strong in austria because you know red bull are always super pumped up there and uh they've got a bit of a track record but equally if we think about austria last year our our campaign in austria last year was hampered by our own mistakes on the cooling side which meant that we were chugging around way off the actual natural pace of the car and the year before hampered by unreliability and and uh, rather clumsy moves around a safety car so i think um we're all looking forward to getting to austria and, and maybe showing a bit more of what we're capable of than than the slight underperformance that we put in in the previous two seasons and hungary well i think it'll be a, a ding dong but um it was it was a good result for us there last year. Now, there are new financial and tech rules coming uh, in the future. Just generally speaking, James, how do you even begin to shrink an F1 team down? How do you choose who stays and who goes? Well, I think that's only part of the challenge. The challenge is it's not dissimilar to, to the challenge we face every year, which is actually... How do you make the fastest car most likely to win a championship? How do you have an organization and the skills necessary to do that? It's not like today we enjoy limitless resources. We have to pick and choose our battles and we have to bias our, our investments where, where they're going to give us our best return. And that, that, the basic challenge, therefore, is, is unchanged. What is, I guess, different is that there is now a whole new raft of regulations where previously we've just had technical and sporting. We've now got financial. And while financial might sound like it's to do with redundancies and cuts and all that, financial is just another set of regulations alongside technical and sporting, a set of regulations where we need to tease them apart 
to see where the opportunities are in them and translate those opportunities into lap time. We will be, you know, analyzing that as furiously as we can in the time available to, to figure out what the shape and size of a company should look like for making the best of these three regulation sets as opposed to what we've had in the past, the two regulations. I think the main challenge is that just the time scale. It was already going to be relatively tricky to do in the time, and now COVID has robbed us of a few months of it. You mentioned some of the other aspects in terms of the new regulations. Tell us your reaction to the sliding scale of of wind tunnel testing. Is that anti-innovation in your opinion? And how do you think that will impact the development of the new rules for, for 2022? Well, I think there's, there's parts of it I can understand why it's there. Other bits of it, I, I think, leave a bit of a poor taste in my mouth. I'm not sure that it's anti-innovation because whatever level of aerodynamic test restriction you're granted, whatever that level is, however many runs you've got, however much CFD you're permitted to bring to bear, the incentive to be innovative is going to be ever-present. So it's not anti-innovation. What it does is just um, brings sort of more, it just brings more opportunity to a team that has more overall aerodynamic testing granted to them than to one who is more restricted. And the one who is more restricted is going to have to work super smart in order to keep up performance relative to the ones who are less restricted. The things about it that are a bit awkward, it's really, really laggy. So it, this, this regulation is being introduced next year. Uh, so it will start in 2021. But actually consider what that means. In 2021, we're all going to be running cars that are largely frozen, carried over cars from 2020. Our, our significant axis of work in 2021 is going to be on preparing this new generation car for 2022. And so the aerodynamics, the, the large majority of the aerodynamics that you can afford to invest in 2021 are going to be on the following season, for 2022. So the amount of aerodynamics you can bring to bear for 2022 is going to be, de- 22 remember, is going to be determined by how good you were in 2020. So this entirely new blank sheet paper car, which has got nothing to do whatsoever with the current generation of cars, your fortune in that championship is to some extent influenced by just how strong you were in 2020, two years, two seasons previously. That's a really laggy feedback system that, uh, that is one that is likely to encourage uh, you to game a championship because if you're not really very good in 2020, it suits you to be really <laughs> you'll then if you, as long as you know you can you can survive into 2021 and beyond you're going to have a really good run in at this new car now that i guess that's you know the nature of the challenge but but it's it's maybe not as obvious on first reading of those regulations just how long the shadow is that they cast i guess the second thing that is a bit icky is when it's first proposed then the budget cap was at a level where many of the teams on the grid couldn't dream of getting to the budget cap. So it was rather academic, the level it was set at. So the sliding ATR was perhaps a mechanism to allow a team that couldn't afford the budget cap a very cost-effective way of getting a degree of competitiveness. They couldn't actually 
buy directly with their wallet because their wallet was too thin. There's some logic to that. But when, when the thing is sliding all the way from first place to 10th place, you've got teams that are absolutely on the same level of financial firepower being advantaged and disadvantaged to one another on the basis of a very laggy feedback system across the regulation change. That's, well, I guess it'll be, it will be another challenge to face. James, can we talk drivers quickly? There's been a bit of movement at Ferrari. Sebastian Vettel is now out and about. We're all wondering what he's going to do. And I think a lot of people want to know, would he be a workable solution alongside Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes next year? Well, I think probably the first and most obvious thing to say is that we have a very fine driver lineup today. We also have, uh, um, you know, options around us for access to other fine drivers. So it's, it's, it's not very easy to imagine the stars aligning in such a way as to ever make your question hypothetical. But I imagine if, if, if that were ever to happen, then both men would figure out a way to make it work. They're both, you know, clearly Lewis is a phenomenal driver and Sebastian has, uh, has got a fair few achievements under his belt as well. I'm sure the professionals in both of them would find a way of making it work. I find it very difficult to imagine that the many good options that we have around us would would ever evaporate to that extent. Okay, and look, something a bit left field to end on if we can, James. Can you name the most significant invention in Formula One history? Well... Forward-facing exhausts, how about that? Well, yeah, that was definitely it. That's, <laughs> no. um, it's, it's a difficult question, that, because, you know, sort of what does it actually mean? You could, I, you know, I suspect the wheel's quite important. We, we, we make racing cars, and everyone knows what a car is, but we make racing cars. What is the single biggest difference between our racing cars and a car and that makes, makes our cars so utterly compelling as a visual spectacle and which, which makes them go at the almost unreal speeds is their aerodynamic performance. That's, that's what separates them from just the merely lightweight, powerful cars. It's the fact that they generate this huge amount of downforce that keeps them glued to the road and lets the drivers attack corners in a way that looks scarcely real. From the opening days where they just plonked on a couple of wings and held them on with bungee cords practically, to the the growing mastery of of low speed aerodynamics in ground effect because all our cars are ground effect cars the mastery of that getting way 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 beyond empirical now it's it's a proper science that to me is the is the standout defining feature of formula 1 in its current form a big thanks to james for a fascinating insight into the new regulations and of course into the power of aerodynamics over car performance. That was definitely a more insightful answer with regards to the most significant invention in Formula One history than his first take, the wheel. Okay, we could both see the smile on his face when he said that. You know, I thought he might have come up with active suspension or carbon fibre. Remember that McLaren in the 80s and all those sorts of inventions. But you That's know, what you were looking for, isn't it, Tom? AJ, quickly, I'm going to put that question to you. The most significant invention in Formula One history now. 
I would go for the wheel as well. <laughs> I'm having no luck here. Well, I'm going to give the people what they want, and I'm going to say carbon fibre, because so much of the cars today are made of carbon fibre, and of course it's it's permeated through to road cars as well. In fact, can I also add the semi-automatic gearbox to that, the paddle shift gearbox? I love that. The hands device, actually, I want to add. See, there's loads of stuff. But for more on that and the impact of the calendar, let's bring in Lawrence Barreto now, Formula1.com's senior writer. Lawrence, first question, the most significant invention in Formula1 history. Do not say the wheel. Or the oh, steering so wheel. I to say the wheel. <laughs> I was going to go for the hands device when I heard you guys chatting about it, but you said that as well. It's just... No, like, it, the hands it, device is great. So like, what about the calendar? Again, actually, we got another gem from James when we said, you know, the choice of circuits, who's it going to suit? He just said the fastest car. But what's your opinion, Lawrence? How's it all going to play out when we get going? I'm not sure if I could give more insight than that. The fastest car is going to... It's going to be the strongest one. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's interesting, the first thing I saw when I saw the new calendar was that we've got Austria, Austria, Hungary. When I look at those three races, or two, obviously two of the same, I just think Max Verstappen and I think Red Bull. And I just thought instantly, if there's going to be an opportunity for Red Bull and for Max to even have a chance at winning the championship during this period of Mercedes domination, this is like the best case scenario for them. I'm pretty sure they all sit around at the start of the year and they go, right, guys, so we can win this race, this race, this race, and this race. And they've got th three of those to start the season. What's exciting is that we haven't really seen Mercedes being put under pressure during their turbo hybrid era. I don't think personally, consistently at least. And if Max and Red Bull can start the season really strongly and say win those three races, we're finally going to see a team that have dominated the sport have to really kick on and see if they can respond to that. And I don't know, we haven't seen enough yet to see whether they can do. So that's what I'm really excited about when I saw the calendar. That was the first takeaway for me. Uh, Lawrence, have you changed your opinion about who might take the championship as a result of the calendar that we've seen so far? Yes, I have. I think it's quite easy when we make these predictions ahead of each year to say Lewis and Mercedes, just given the success that they've had. Up until the point where we had a calendar, because things have changed so, so much over the last few weeks, I would have still said Lewis because he's shown time and time again that he can respond when he needs to under whatever circumstance. But I think it's very unique that we're going to Red Bull's home for the first two races and then to Hungary, which is a circuit that I know that Mercedes had success there last year. But I think that Red Bull will still fancy that if they get everything right and they've got the momentum, they can win. And I think all Max really needs, because he doesn't need more belief, I think he just needs some points on the board and a reality that he can win. And I think that that will put a bit of pressure on Lewis and Mercedes that we just haven't seen um, in these last few years. So, yeah, I've changed my mind. And I do think based on this early calendar, I think Red Bull and, and Max could have a real shot at this championship, especially we don't know how many races we're going to get at this stage, do we? I, I think it's a nice, bold prediction. I'm liking the nice, bold prediction at this stage of the show. Throw out the form book. It is time for a new champion. For your prediction to be right, Lawrence... Red Bull massively need Alex Albon to play his part, though, don't they? Oh, definitely. And I think earlier this week, Christian was talking about like the drivers to the future, and he was asked about Sebastian Vettel and whether he could go back. And he essentially said, we want to keep Max and Alex so long as Alex performs. That's key to not just the Constructors' Championship, like you suggest, um, Alex, but it, to, to Max's title hopes as well, because... This is a two, you need two drivers competing at the best of their ability to challenge for a championship. And 
and they need Alex to score consistently to make pit strategies work. And I think that Alex showed enough last year, towards the end of last year, to show that he can be a backup. It'll be interesting to see whether he can kind of deliver on that this year. But from what I saw in testing, I thought he had a very strong test. Yeah, strategically, I think Albon, I mean, I was thinking back to last year with Budapest, that strategy that Hamilton used to win the race would not have been possible if you'd had another Red Bull riding shotgun. And if it's going to be as close as we predict, Hamilton needs Bottas to play his part as well, doesn't he? I saw some comments about from Mika Hakkinen talking about how this could be Bottas's year as well. The truth is that this is probably a good year for anybody in those top three teams at least to feel like they've got a genuine chance at this championship because we might not know how many circuits we're going to have and how many races we're going to have this year and that adds an unpredictability that Mercedes don't like. There's a bit more jeopardy this year and I think when you introduce that aspect, things can, things can happen and I think they'll need Bottas to deliver as much as, they, as he can early on as well. You know, if you've got Alex Albon in there mixing things up, it's not going to be so easy, isn't it, to make those big decisions on pit calls when you really need to. Jeopardy and Mercedes is not something they, they, they want on their plate because they have chucked a rather large veto at the idea of reverse grid qualifying. Well, what do we think about reverse grid qualifying, guys? Because if we're going to identical venues, I think it would have been a great year to try it out. Well, Alex, I'm just looking forward to hearing what you're going to say in uh, FP1 and FP2 of the second Austria race (laughs) (laughs) with with no reverse grid race to look forward to. I've got my statement written down here for you, TC. Uh, It says, I love practice. I love every minute of practice and always have. (laughs) And you can watch every minute of practice on Formula One television's pit lane channel this year. There we go. I mean, it's a golden opportunity missed, isn't it? That's, I think, are we all agreed on that? I don't know. No, I don't think I do agree. I understand why Toto and Mercedes said no, because obviously they're going to get hurt the most by this. But I think that at the start of this year, all the teams were prepared based on a format that they were expecting to race. And I think that to change that mid-season isn't that fair. And I do agree that this does present an opportunity. But I think if we're trying to make this as fair a championship and no gimmicks, as Chase said, I think we should probably leave it now, given where we're at. We're not going to get another opportunity, though, where like this to try new ideas. No, we're not. You're right. But then I guess if you look at it, if we tried the reverse grids at the two races this year that are doubling up and we got to the end of the year and say Lewis didn't win and it was because of those two races. Do you think that means that this championship isn't? as valid as the other ones because I think there would be a debate there I think Lawrence we tried we tried double points five years ago or something didn't we that to me is injecting a whole load of unpredictability that's no different to this I don't think um what you could get here is you could get two Williamses on the well you probably will get two Williamses on the front of the grid to start the race um to start the spring race and I just don't know how that looks optics wise for a fan when you know, it's not it's not really that fair, is it? I think you're just deciding the grid. Remember, you're only deciding the grid. You are. But say Monaco, if if you're. No, no, but we're not saying Monaco. We're saying Austria and Silverstone. No, I know. But it's the co- we're talking about the concept, though, aren't we? I guess. <laughs> but you're right. OK, fine. Now, I do. I, t- I take your point. But I just think it's slightly unfair that we're penalising, say, Mercedes, who have been pushing the limits of technology and done a brilliant job for, for that success. And they're, they're stuck at the back of the grid because they've been successful. I see entirely what you're driving at, Lawrence. I wonder, though, 
If Max Verstappen was to win the championship based on two victories in Austria, does that not play to exactly the same thing? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But at least if he were to win those two races, he would be winning based on the fact. On merit, basically. Presumably qualifying, he would be very strong and racing, he would be very strong. And and so that, you know, from, from that point of view, it would be, he just did the best job. Whereas I don't necessarily think that if someone won a reverse, won from a grid that was decided on a reverse grid, yeah. they would have done the best job possible, if that makes sense. Well, thanks to Lawrence. Always good to hear from him. And look out this week for his sit-down with Kimi Raikkonen talking about his journey from wild party guy to family man. That's on f1.com in the coming days. Oh, there's going to be a good story there, Alex. That two-week-long bender that he went on back in 2013. I do hope he talks about it. (laughs) The crazy days of Kimi Raikkonen. We have just about got time to delve into the mailbag. First up, Sharif has said he could not stop smiling the entire time that Mika Hakkinen spoke in last week's episode. There's just something about him and that overtake. We could not agree more. Absolutely. Now, unsurprisingly, there wasn't a ton of support for Rob Smedley's assertion that 2019 was Sebastian Vettel's best F1 campaign. But Amit says this. Russia was a rocket start indeed. It's a pity Seb's car broke down. Otherwise, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened in the end after Ferrari decided to screw him over. Controversial, Amit. Controversial. And I like this one from Kesha, uh, who said to you that they just finished the fullback catalogue of Beyond the Grid. And F1 Nation, they'd completed your complete audio works, TC. Uh, They said they'd missed listening to it at work all day long. Cashier, I think you need to get out more. Arguably, that's even too much TC for TC. And finally, Rob from California asks, what will the forfeit be for Rosanna failing to attempt her challenge? A little bit of detail. If you weren't with us last week, Rosanna completely forgot her challenge when she was interviewing Sergio Perez. But we always listen to your suggestions on F1 Nation. We will dial up Rosanna and it's time to spin the wheel of F1 Fortune. Stay with me, folks. And it's landed on Pub Quiz. To keep the challenge title, Rosanna Tennant, you must test your F1 knowledge up against our very own Tom Clarkson. This is Challenge Rosanna. This is worse than all the challenges I've been set so far. This is a big challenge, Rosanna. This is a big challenge. I'm just going to go and get my uh, encyclopedia of Formula One. Hang on a sec. Don't talk about your brain like that, Tom. Tom, you've got years on me. You've been in this sport way before I was even born. Yeah, all right. So, in fact, I should have forgotten it all if I... (laughs) (laughs) Not an age dig. Tom doesn't like those. Cut it out. (laughs) come on then far away with the questions I love a quiz I love a quiz here's how it works if Tom wins this quiz the section at the end of the show will be renamed Tom's teaser and and what happens if Rosanna wins the quiz she keeps hold of the challenge Rosanna title and she can offer challenges in the future to the good and great of Formula One it's not convoluted at all stop giving me that look (laughs) gotta keep this alive I can't let Tom teaser take over The Tom Teaser Takeover. The Tom Teaser Takeover starts now. Rosanna, question number one. Who won the last Formula One race? I want to say it was Lewis Hamilton, but now I can't remember anything. I can't believe the pressure 
the pressure right now. It was Lewis Hamilton. Oh, thank goodness. Do we have that's a phone not, a friend? That's not your question, Tom. That's not your question. Tom, your question. Who finished fifth in the 1999 French Grand Prix? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I really, really want to get this right. Easy peasy. What are you going to go for, Tom? Eddie Irvine. Tom, you are one position out. It was Michael Schumacher. Oh, so 1-0 to Rosanna. Because that was the race that Heinz Harold Frentzen... Who finished fifth. Can I just who... say Stewart's Inquiry, right? No, so it, Rosanna it, it, gets it, it, who won the last Grand Prix that we actually yeah, had. I, just, just, I am asked who finished yeah. fifth I'm 20 hearing, years ago. I'm hearing a lot of noise. I'm hearing a lot of noise directed at the Quizmaster. It's not going to help you. Question number two for Rosanna. How many podiums does Pierre Gasly have? One. Is the right answer. <laughs> this is so unfair. <laughs> oh, shush. Shush in the cheap seats. <laughs> Triple how many, T. TC, how many fastest laps does Kimi Raikkonen have? 20. It's the wrong answer, TC. You're such a bad loser. Oh, I've got no idea. I actually have no idea how many he has. He's got 46 fastest laps. Oh, oh. So it's looking good, Rosanna. I don't know how many, how much time we've got left. <laughs> TC's body language is fabulous. How many of these damn things have we got to have? How many races did we have last season, Rosanna? Oh, 21. 21 is the right answer. How many races were there in 1956? Is that what you're about to ask me? No, don't be so ridiculous, Tom. The question is, in fact, who won the 1958 Portuguese Grand Prix? Uh, it was Mike Hawthorne after Sterling Moss had gone to the stewards and said he hadn't he hadn't broken a rule by reversing back on after a spin. One of Formula One's great stories, unfortunately, it's from the Moroccan Grand Prix, <laughs> not the Portuguese. <laughs> Ah, oh, it was Portuguese. Did you say it, Portuguese? I misheard you. Sorry, yeah, Portuguese. Portuguese, because um, I knew you'd know Morocco. That's the thing. <laughs> and Rosanna Portu- has won three nil to to Portuguese. keep control of the challenge. Uh, Sterling Moss. It was Sterling Moss. Well guessed, Tom. A 3-1 win in an entirely fair quiz, and it means Tom's teaser is consigned to the dustbin of history. I'm really looking forward to this being taken out of the edit. Tom, stop crying. Well, TC, you appear to be giving that feature two out of ten, given what you're you're telling me on Zoom. AJ, you can laugh all you like, big man. All I can tell you is I am going to be the quiz master next time. That's just about it for F1 Nation this week. And we'd love you to subscribe to the show. And if you've got time, leave us a review. Thanks again to all of our guests, to Lando Norris, to James Allison, to Lawrence Barreto. Well done to Rosanna Tennant for keeping hold of the challenge segment. And thanks to you for listening. We'll be back with another episode next week. Join us then on F1 Nation. Listener.